this first episode, we pay tribute to our veterans of the United States military, both past and present. I'm Chris Casey, and this is Sea to Shining Sea. Welcome everyone to Sea to Shining Sea. Again, I'm Chris Casey, and today we will talk about veterans both past and present here on this first episode. I am new to the world of podcasting. While I've co-hosted on other podcasts, such as my friend's podcast, The People vs. Happiness with Dave Musgrave, and we've also started a movie podcast, uh, The Concession Counter. You can check us out there, of course. Um, I am here, Sea to Shining Sea. Uh, this is something I've been trying to do for over a year, and it's great that I finally get a chance to do it. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed my little intro music, uh, America the Beautiful. How wonderful is that song, right? <laughs> Why are we doing veterans today? Well, because you're listening to one. I am a veteran of the United States Air Force, and uh, veterans are near and dear to my heart. I am a proud veteran of the United States of America, and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. As I begin, I'd like to start off by sharing my experience in uh, the United States Air Force. A junior in high school in 1988, yes, 1988, I'm that young, <laughs> I, uh, I decided to enlist in the United States Air Force when I was 17. Of course, I didn't go into basic training until I was 18. And that wonderful time that everybody goes through who serves in the military uh, was in 1989 uh, in Texas, San Antonio at Lackland Air Force Base. Those of you who uh, have served know all about the, actually it was six weeks for us in the United States Air Force. Good times, good times. As it were, it rained once in six weeks. So for those of you listening who've been through uh, boot camp, basic training, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we all come in green, green, wet behind the ears, all you want to call it, children, as it were, and come out men. And uh, to this day, I'm sure it's the same. I'm, I'm sure it's changed a little. But uh, anyone who joins the military, you will come out a better person. It's made me a better person my entire life. And I thank God that uh, that happened to me. So moving on in my career I ended up being trained as an aircraft fuel systems mechanic, meaning I used to climb into aircraft wing tanks, fuselage tanks, repair them for leaks and uh, and any components and stuff like that. So we had our own hangar and I worked on the flight line and uh, this was all cool because this was a kid who had seen Top Gun a few years before and all these fighter aircraft being able to work on. I spent every day in, on, and around fighter aircraft for almost seven years. And that was pretty cool. Uh, it was like living a dream. Um, of course, well, I didn't stay in, wanted to. Um, I served during Operation Desert Storm. Uh, while I wasn't in theater and took bullets like some of the other veteran uh, comrades, brothers in arms that I have, it, uh, it was truly a wonderful, wonderful experience. I will never forget it, and it's made me the man I am today. So... Uh, thank you for letting me indulge in my nostalgic look back to my time in the United States Air Force. Um, some other things I'm going to talk about in this episode. Uh, I'm going to break down the oath of enlistment that I took in 1989. 
and why it was important to me to enlist into the United States Air Force, as well as I'm going to take a look at a couple heroes, um, both past and more recently, um, as I mentioned at the onset, uh, a couple Medal of Honor winners and what they went through to uh, to receive the Medal of Honor and how uh, we should tip our cap to them and every other veteran uh, on this Veterans Day week here in 2019. And I might even mention what Veterans Day and where it came from. I hope you're enjoying the episode thus far, so please continue listening and we will uh, keep it going here. On 25 August of 1989, I took the oath of enlistment. This is a oath that everyone who serves in the United States military is required to take. Uh, and we usually do it together, all together in a room. Very, very formal. Uh, there has to be a officer from whatever branch of service. And I believe the flags have to be at certain places. It, it's very, very formal. Uh, and I thought, oh, wow, when I did this, it was, it was pretty amazing. It kind of hits you right in the heart. And you know that you're doing something amazing. So I'm going to read through the oath of enlistment as if I did back in 1989. And then I'm going to break it down and, and let you know what everything means. And uh, yeah, so uh, the oath of enlistment. And I would have said, I, Christopher Casey, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Yes, that is the oath of enlistment. Of course, you raising your right hand. So breaking it down a little bit, uh, I do solemnly swear of course, you have to say your name in there. Uh, that signifies a public statement of commitment that you are accepting responsibility for your actions. The next part of it, it says that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Uh, you are not swearing to support the president, the country, the flag, or a particular service, but rather the Constitution, which symbolizes all these things. Uh, and in the Air Force, that's also known as the Airman's Creed. Against all enemies, both foreign and domestic, well, we must always be prepared for current and future wartime operations. The next section is that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Uh, an active decision on your part, delegated to no one other, uh, yours alone to make that choice. Weighing the cost and liberty you choose. Service before self is what we would call it. The next statement is, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me. Uh, this means you will respect senior leaders and decision makers and will follow all legal orders. Um, and then according to the regulations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, we called it the UCMJ. And that was our law. We had to live by it. It means you will honor and uphold all military rules and regulations. And then so help me God. Of course, this signifies truth and commitment to what you have sworn in the oath. It is to a higher calling higher being, or divine agency uh, to assist ensuring your own integrity and honesty. So such a powerful oath that meant a lot to me, and I know everyone else who raises their right hand and takes that oath uh, to serve in our military. And after taking that oath, I, uh, 
I felt like I had uh, fulfilled a family legacy uh, as my grandfather served in the United States Marine Corps and my dad served in the United States Navy. Um, while I didn't go into either one of those branches, uh, I was in the U.S. Air Force and uh, kept the family legacy going, um, and that was important to me. Now, moving on to the stories I mentioned, I have a couple different uh, uh, Medal of Honor winners I'd like to share their stories, and then, of course, uh, give you a little tidbit, little fun facts about Veterans Day, and then we'll close out this first episode. The Saving of Spooky 71 is the first uh, Medal of Honor story I'd like to share. Uh, this is actually a Medal of Honor winner I learned about in basic training back in 1989. Airman First Class John Levitau. He is a Medal of Honor winner from the Vietnam War. This is from the Air Force Magazine. So thank you to the Air Force Magazine for providing this story by John Frisbee. So if you wouldn't mind, I'll share this with you. Uh, A1C John Levitau had only seconds to save the lives of eight crewmen aboard the battle-damaged gunship. Heroism knows neither age nor rank. During World War II and Vietnam, five airmen uh, earned the Medal of Honor. Junior among them was 23-year-old Airman First Class John L. Levitau, a loadmaster on an AC-47 gunship. Spooky 71 was actually the name of it. On the night of February 24th, 1969, went to the aid of besieged troops uh, at Long Bin Army Base, a few miles northeast of Saigon. It was John Levitau's 181st combat sortie. That means he had flown 181 times into combat uh, with this gunship. Uh, very vital uh, use during the um, Vietnam War. An operational mission uh, Loadmaster Levitau was responsible, among other duties, for setting up the ejection and ignition controls of a Mark 24 magnesium flare carried by USAF gunships in Southeast Asia. Uh, flares provided illumination for the troops on the ground for the gunship's pilot to aim his three side-firing 7.62 miniguns. Uh, that could cause a lot of problems. <laughs> and for fighters that might be called in to help suppress enemy fire. Once the controls were set, the Mark 24 packed in a three-foot-long metal tube weighing in 27 pounds and was passed to a gunner who triggered the arming mechanism who tossed the tube out of the plane's cargo door. Ten seconds after release, an explosive charge opened the flare's parachute, and in another ten seconds, the magnesium ignited, generating a light of two million candle power. At 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit, the flare could burn through metal, and the Mark 24 was not treated casually. Properly handled, it could be lethal. On that February night, Spooky 71 had been in the air for four and a half hours when Major Kenneth Carpenter, the aircraft commander, was directed in an area south of the Army base where the enemy mortars were laying down a heavy barrage. As the plane arrived at its target area, Levitau handed a flare to Airman Ellis Owen whose finger was through the safety pin ring before tossing the flare through the door at Carpenter's command. Suddenly, Spooky 71 was rocked by a tremendous blast, and an 82-millimeter mortar shell had exploded inside the gunship's right wing, showering the cargo compartment with shrapnel. All five crew members in the rear of the plane were hurled to the floor, bleeding with shrapnel wounds. Spooky 71 fell into a steep, descending turn to the right, momentarily out of control. 
Uh, man, this sounds like a crazy, crazy, crazy flight. The flare, torn from Owen's hands by the blast, rolled around the aircraft floor, fully armed amidst several thousand rounds of live ammunition for the miniguns. Through the haze of pain and shock, Levitau, with 40, yes, 40 shrapnel wounds in his legs, side, and back, saw one of the crew link perilously close to the open cargo door. As he dragged the wounded man to safety, Levitau spied the armed, smoking flare rolling around erratically through the cargo compartment. How long had it been since a safety pin had inadvertently been pulled? Five seconds? Fifteen seconds? He had no way of knowing. He did know that the timing mechanism could have been damaged, which might result in premature ignition. Oh my goodness. Uh, in a matter of seconds, the flare would ignite. Its intense heat turning up the stricken gunship would turn into an inferno. Uh, weakened from the loss of blood and partially paralyzed by his wounds, he tried vainly to pick up the flare as it skidded around the floor. The plane was still in a 30-degree bank. Seconds ticked by. Finally, in desperation, he threw himself on the flare, dragged it to the open door, a trail of blood, of course, marking his path and pushed it out just as it ignited into a white-hot blaze. Levitau then lapsed into unconsciousness. Carpenter managed to regain control of the gunship, its wings and fuselage, riddled by over 3,500 shrapnel holes, one of them three feet in diameter. Ambulances and medical evacuation helicopter were waiting on the flight line at Benhoa Spookies, uh, 71's home base. When the battered plane landed with its five injured crewmen, two of them, including John Levitau, seriously wounded at the time. Levitau was flown to a hospital in Japan. After he recovered, yes, after he recovered, he flew 20 more combat missions before returning to the States to complete his enlistment as a C-141 loadmaster at Norton Air Force Base in California. On Armed Forces Day, May 14, 1970, President Richard Nixon presented the Medal of Honor to Levitau in a ceremony at the White House. The young airman's heroism on that night sky over Vietnam added to another chapter to the saga of valor that is a vital element of the Air Force heritage. And that is something I learned about in basic training, and I thought, wow, this an airman first class. This guy had just joined the Air Force, probably within two years, and he is doing this kind of thing every night, 181 times, and this is amazing. I just love this story. I've loved it ever since I learned it, and I hope you uh, appreciate it as much as I do. Moving on to the next story, uh, we thank Mr. Levitau, and I believe he passed away in the year 2000. Um, and he is buried in Arlington National Cemetery. To the next warrior that I found uh, as a Medal of Honor winner, more recently, um, he and I actually share a trait. Um, we are not only veterans, but uh, we're both natives of the state of Iowa. This gentleman's name, this hero's name, is Salvatore Ginta. And uh, Salvatore Augustine Ginta was born in January 21st, 1985 in Clinton, Iowa, which is a river town right along the Mississippi on the eastern border of Iowa, a little ways up the river from myself where I grew up. So an Iowa native, 
uh, as a hero here in a more recent times. Um, he was born in 1985 in, in Clinton, Iowa, to an Italian-American family while working at Subway. Yeah, Subway. Uh, at the age of 17, hmm, somebody else signed up when they were 17, uh, Ginta enlisted in the United States Army after watching a recruitment commercial. After enlisting, uh, Ginta reported to basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia, and subsequently joined the 2nd Battalion, 503rd Infantry Regiment, 173rd Airborne Brigade Combat Team at Vicenza, India, based in Vicenza, Italy. Later, he served in Zabul, Afghanistan from March of 2005 to March of 2006. During this time, he felt he had developed into a true soldier after an IED hit a truck, and he witnessed the death of his four comrades. As he said in an interview with Vanity Fair, uh, it's one thing to see someone dead, but it's another thing to see an American soldier uh, or someone you know. They're at the strongest moments of their life, and it's just gone from them. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Whew, wow. When in his first deployment ended, the Army stop-loss policy extended his active duty service and kept him in the Korangal Valley. Uh, on October 25th, 2007, uh, just 12 years ago, guys, uh, Ginta and his team went on a night patrol in the mountains along the Gital Spur of Hancho Hill. With only a few feet of leaving their position, they were ambushed by the Taliban fire from all directions. After seeing his squad leader take a bullet to the head and collapse, Ginta sprinted toward him in a wall of bullets, countering insurgent fire with his own. Ginta found his squad leader uninjured, but in rushing over, he was hit twice uh, trying to find cover and one bullet hitting his chest plate, the other hitting and shattering a weapon on his back. A few seconds later, Ginta began throwing fragmentation grenades toward the Taliban to disrupt their attack. Ginta and two other squad mates advanced, firing back until they were able to reach an injured friend to tend to his wounds. After ensuring his friend's safety, Ginta dashed over a nearby hill with no cover, and when he lifted his eyes, his heart stopped. In the distance, he saw silhouettes of two insurgents dragging away Sergeant Josh Brennan, who was his best friend. Ginta ran towards him, took aim, and killed one of the insurgents. The other dropped Brennan and fled. When he reached Brennan, he saw that he was severely wounded. The ambush was ending, and he kept Brennan alive while waiting for evacuation. Brennan, however, died in surgery the next day. Two days later, Ginta learned he would be recommended for the Medal of Honor. And on September 10th, 2010, President Barack Obama uh, announced that he would award the United States' highest military honor, the first awarded to a living recipient since the Vietnam War. That's huge. Again, the ceremony took place on November 16th, 2010 at the White House. He was not at peace with his award because he knew he did what any other soldier would have done. And this is awesome. This this is what really makes this guy an amazing man. In July of 2017, at a ceremony in Vicenza, he pulled out his Medal of Honor and handed it to the brigade, stating that he wanted the medal to remain there with the 173rd uh, men and women. So that's a true, true hero, soldier, uh, just a great man. Uh, I would love to at least have a conversation with this this guy, a huge tip of the cap, and, and I would utmost respect for you, uh, sir, for everything you've done and to 
to to give the Medal of Honor to his unit. Uh, ultimate class, respect, uh, all the above. So thank you, sir, for what you did. Uh, we appreciate it. And this was courtesy, this story was courtesy of the Veterans Administration uh, website. Moving on. All right, as we work to uh, finish this first episode, while it's not a very long episode, I hope you're enjoying it thus far. Two great stories of two amazing heroes. Uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of heroes every day out there working for us, protecting us and keeping us free in this wonderful, wonderful country we live in. We were talking, I, 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 mentioned, I mentioned where Veterans Day came from. Well, here's some fun facts about Veterans Day. Veterans Day was originated as Armistice Day on November 11th, 1919, the first anniversary of the end of World War I. Congress passed a resolution in 1926 for an annual observance, and November 11th became a national holiday beginning in 1938. Unlike Memorial Day, Veterans Day pays tribute to all American veterans, both living and dead, but especially gives thanks to living veterans who served their country honorably during war or peacetime. Veterans Day occurs on November 11th every year in the United States in honor of the 11th hour of the 11th day and the 11th month of 1918 that signaled the end of World War I, known as Armistice Day. And in 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, a very famous veteran in his own right, uh, General Eisenhower, as we all call him, uh, officially changed the name of the holiday from Armistice Day to Veterans Day. Uh, and in 1968, Uniform Holidays Bill was passed by Congress, which moved the celebration of Veterans Day to the fourth Monday in October. The law went into effect in 1971, but then in 1975, President Gerald Ford returned Veterans Day to November 11th due to the important historical significance of the date. Good job, President Ford. Thank you. <laughs> you put it back where it belongs. Veterans Day does commemorate uh, veterans of all wars um, in Europe, Great Britain, and Commonwealth countries. It is common to observe two minutes of silence at 11 a.m. on November 11th. I like that idea. Two minutes of silence. That's wonderful. Every Veterans Day Memorial Day Arlington National Cemetery holds an annual memorial service. The cemetery is home to over, listen to this, 400,000 people, most who've served in the military. 400,000. If you've never been to Arlington National Cemetery, uh, it's been several years, and I live close now. I really want to go back. Um, I was just a teenager and, and, and young and dumb and didn't understand how amazing that area was, but I've been to Arlington National Cemetery and it's just, it's breathtaking. If you have a chance, uh, make it a bucket list to, uh, to get there. Uh, veterans today, just some more information. Uh, I really want you guys to, to know all about veterans and, and my friends and, and neighbors. Uh, the military men and women who serve and protect the U.S. come from all walks of life. Parents, children, grandparents, friends, neighbors, coworkers or an important part of our community. Uh, there are some facts about veteran population of the United States. Uh, there are 18.2 million living veterans served during at least one war as of 2018. 9% uh, of the veterans are women. 7 million veterans served during the Vietnam War. 
3 million veterans have served in the support of the war on terrorism. Of the 16 million Americans who served during World War II, about 496,777 were still alive as of last year. Uh, that's, that, oh wow. That means, yeah, we're losing them, folks. The greatest generation, uh, the great war, uh, World War II. Four, just under 500,000 out of 16 million. Connecticut was home of the highest percentage of World War II veterans as of 2018 at 7.1%. Two million veterans served during the Korean War, usually a forgotten war between World War II and uh, Vietnam, but it was very pivotal uh, as of the, uh, you know, North and South Korea border uh, is still being guarded, you know, by our troops. Um, several bases there in Korea still. Uh, as of 2017, the top three states with the highest percentage of veterans were Alaska, Maine, and Montana, two of those being remote states. So people obviously want to retire and get away from it all. Um, two states I'd love to check out. So thanks to History.com for the interesting veterans facts. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed recording it. My theme every week is going to be something American. As you notice the song, America the Beautiful, Sea to Shining Sea. Whether it be American movies, American politics. No, no, we're not talking about politics. American pop culture, uh, towns. I plan on visiting a, a several different subjects. Yeah, eventually hope to have some people in here with me to you know, co-host or whatever. Uh, I'm just going to let let things roll and see what happens. But uh, thank you for listening to this first episode of Sea to Shining Sea with Chris Casey. Our next episode, you'll get a veteran's view of my top five movies, military movies, and my thoughts on how good they were, what makes it my top five, and of course, how close they are to the real thing. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Sea to Shining Sea. God bless the United States of America.